Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Talladega, Alabama. First Baptist Church exists to glorify God by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples in Talladega and around the world. have your Bibles with you this morning, will you join me in turning to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, this morning we'll be reading verses 8 through 10. Once you have it, if you are able, will you stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed coming to you. Let's pray together. Father, even as we have just reflected through song, we pray that you would speak to us through your word and through its preaching. We recognize our desperate need to hear from you, to hear instruction and encouragement and challenge. Father, yes, even though at times it is uncomfortable to hear and feel conviction, We know that you have a purpose for your word this morning in each of our lives, in each of our hearts, in each of our minds. And so we pray, trusting and knowing that you will accomplish it. We submit now, indeed surrender to the authority of your word. We submit and surrender to whatever you would do in our hearts and lives even today. Father, I pray that you would use me now as your mouthpiece. Whatever you desire to do in the hearts of your people, in the lives of your people today, I am not sufficient for it, but your word is. So I pray that you would fill my mouth with your words and not mine. Where I am tempted to speak my own thoughts, to speak my own mind, guard my mouth. Fill it with your words for your people alone this morning. As you speak to us now through your word, through its reading, through its preaching, give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to obey. Pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me be transparent with you for a moment and tell you about something that happened to me. Uh, last Sunday when I got home, Heather was in the kitchen making my favorite lunch, hot dogs. Uh, this is our Sunday tradition. And uh, I began to think out loud as she listened kindly about uh, how I was tempted for uh, the first time in a long time, because it is not my pattern to um, skip over, uh, or, or maybe not skip over, but sort of change the plan about where we would go today to put on pause our series through Romans and to find another passage that perhaps spoke more to the need of the moment. As I thought and considered that uh, all through Sunday afternoon and beginning early Monday morning, 
uh, wrestling with whether we would go back to Philippians to a particular passage that would describe for us the unity that we are to have as the body of Christ in disunified days. I began to study very carefully this passage in Romans and the two that will come after that and, and realize again and anew and afresh just how good our God is, how provident he is in bringing us to precisely what we need to hear each and every Sunday. This passage and the next two as well speak directly to our need to be reminded of our unity in Christ as the local church. We begin this morning a sort of mini-series in this part of Romans that we will call the One Another's. Uh, And so today we've entitled the One Another's Part One uh, and identifying three things that we are to be doing with and for one another as the local church. As I was studying this passage and uh, even as I recognized that need before even turning to this passage and really making a study of it uh, this week, I I think we could all readily admit and and recognize the disunity that is the temptation of the moment. There is disunity all around us in the world. Brothers and sisters, let me speak quite casually with you for a moment in saying that the temptation oftentimes has overtaken and overcome us to be more like the world than the body of Christ. To be tempted to look at the disunity that swirls in the world all around us and to better reflect that than to reflect the unity we have with one another. These are difficult days. And there are a lot of things to disagree about and be disunified over. You don't have to go far or listen to the news much or listen to many casual conversations in Walmart to figure out that there are lots and lots of things that people disagree very, very passionately about right now, in this moment, in this season in which we live in our culture, in our nation, uh, in our local community, just as human beings on the face of the planet in 2021. The enemy would love nothing more than to set a trap for us that we would fall into the perilous trap of better reflecting the world than we reflect Christ to the world and the unity that we are to have. So in a season of division all around us, we need to be reminded this morning of the unity that we have in the gospel and what genuine Christian community looks like in the local church. This section The passage that we have just read all the way down through verse 15 as we'll get there in a couple of weeks contains Paul's statements of thankfulness for Roman believers in which he reminds them of, again, three truths that we will call the one another's. We're reminded of critical points of commonality we have with one another in community among believers as a local church. And in this section as a whole, we'll be shown three different things we must do for one another and with one another beginning this morning with prayer for one another. As we study this first of the three one another's, we'll talk this morning considering three characteristics that our prayers for one another should have. Three characteristics our prayers should have as we pray for one another in the local church. Beginning with this, number one, pray with thankfulness. As you pray for one another, pray with thankfulness. Look again at verse 8. For I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul begins with the word first. 
This means that before getting too far in the letter, Paul's very first concern is to communicate to the church in Rome his thankfulness for them. When he uses the word thank, as we'll harp on a little bit more in the next verse, you'll note that the, the word occurs in the present tense. Now, in English, that just means something that's happening at present. But in the Greek, it means something that's ongoing at the present. It indicates an ongoing action. It continues and repeats. The importance of this, as we'll again harp on a little more in verse 9, is that Paul thanks God for these believers on a regular basis. That'll be the clear point uh, that we'll get to in number 2, verse 9. Can I remind you that we feel a lot of things about each other? As you think about one another, as you think about uh, all that is swirling in the world around us, and positions that people take, and as you think about your history with one another and your relationships with one another, you can think and feel a lot of different things about each other. In a season where there is division all around us and when the world seems to know division and rivalry only anymore, we are tempted to feel that same kind of worldly, fleshly rivalry and divisiveness toward one another. Paul says we should be thankful for one another. It should be our attitude about one another. The first thing that comes to mind when we think of one another should not be frustration, anger, rivalry, division, thankfulness. Again, brothers and sisters, I recognize that there are many things about which we could feel less than thankful for one another right now. Let's, again, speak rather candidly and say there are different opinions about all kinds of things represented in the room right now. Whether we want to talk politics and which way you voted versus which way someone else voted in the past election. Whether we want to talk about the situation in the Middle East and what's going on and how we all feel about it, whether we want to talk about the season of pandemic that we have made our way through for so long and what should be our proper reaction, what should be our proper stance, or what would be improper actions or improper stances. There are a lot of people in the room with a lot of different opinions. Temptation always is to allow those differences to divide us. Paul says, be thankful for one another. Thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Now I can imagine that in a church in Rome, amongst all the believers in Rome, there were probably people that Paul didn't see eye to eye with on different things. But you'll note that he doesn't say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for some of you. Paul. Paul. This is a recurring theme through several of, several of Paul's epistles. He often talks about how he prays constantly thanking God for the people in those churches. And we don't have a lot in, in the letter to the Romans about some clear, awful issues going on in the church. But we get that in some other epistles. We get that in some other letters. We're reminded even of all the trouble in the church at Corinth or how he has to address the Galatians as you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. But even as he writes those letters to those churches where there are clearly people he disagrees with and clearly people calling problems, what does he say about his fellow believers? Thank my God for you, all of you, when I pray for you. Let me speak pastorally here. We spoke candidly, casually. Now let me speak pastorally. There will be times when you don't feel thankful for each other. Some of you felt that this week. Some of you may have felt that in the past hour. You feel less than thankful for each other. 
Can I give you a word of practical advice that I believe comes straight from verse 8? If you can't find thankfulness for one another, pray for it. Pray that God would make you Pray that God would adjust your attitudes and your feelings. Pray that God would redirect your feelings with prayer. How many of you have ever felt less than joyful and prayed that God would give you joy? How many of you have felt sadness and anguish and prayed that God would give you peace and felt that peace that surpasses understanding? You've been there. You have prayed that God would change your feeling. You can do the same with thankfulness. You can pray that God would change your feelings about one another and make you thankful for one another. Brothers and sisters, let me give you one more word of pastoral advice before moving on any further. If you will stop and think and pray about all the things you have to be thankful for amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you will strive for that person who is causing you frustration, if you will sit down and bow your head and pray, thanking God for things you can think of to be thankful for about them, your attitude will change rather quickly. And if you are thankful for one another, as you should be, Act on that thankfulness with prayer. Pray to God, thanking Him for one another. Thankfulness is easier said than done. It's easy to say, and and it's tempting for you to say right now, well, I'm thankful for my church, I'm thankful for my church family, and every time I pray, I tell God, thank you for my church family. Okay, what about the person sitting five rows behind you to the left? You thankful for them? Do you pray and thank God for that person sitting three rows in front of you to the right? thankful for that individual because that's what Paul says he does he say, he doesn't just say I am thankful sort of communicating this general idea he's not generally happy or having a, a generally happy disposition he doesn't just sort of have this generally thankful attitude no he says I thank my God he prays to God saying thank you for those brothers and sisters in Rome he prays specifically personally, telling God thank you for the believers in Rome. And of course, to tell God thank you is to pray thankfulness. Paul is very literally praying, and we are to very literally follow his example, thanking God for fellow believers in Jesus Christ. You note the next phrase he uses, through Jesus Christ. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Here Paul reminds us, of course, of a theological truth. It's very important that we recognize it, even take it aside to talk about it for a moment, that the only one through whom we can give thanks is Jesus. Because the only reason that you and I have to stand before the throne of God is because Jesus Christ, the righteous one, intercedes for us before his holy throne. The only way that you and I, sinners as we are, have in order to approach God's throne in prayer, whether it is to thank him, to ask him for something, or for any other reason, is because Jesus Christ, the righteous one, intercedes for us and mediates for us. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God the Father has made a way for us to come before his throne. He desired to hear from us, his children, and so he sent his son to a cross to wash away our sins and to clothe us in his perfect righteousness. 
And now his son stands to make intercession for us, seated at the right hand of God the Father, so that we, through our great high priest, are able to approach that throne and who are now invited to approach that throne of grace and pray in our times of need. It is only through Jesus that you and I, it is only through Jesus that it is possible for you and I to pray to God. Brothers and sisters, this also puts something very important into perspective. The people we're talking about being thankful for are brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul's not just, again, talking about being thankful for people in Rome. He's talking about being thankful for his brothers in Rome, for his sisters in Rome, for people who have the same God and Father and faith and who've been saved by the same grace, sealed with the same Holy Spirit, who are part of the same universal church. Brothers, sisters in Jesus Christ. They are, Paul is thankful, and you and I are to be thankful for brothers and sisters for whom Jesus died. When you think about that person with whom you are tempted to feel something less than thankful, when you're tempted to feel something less than thankfulness about that person sitting down the row from you, be reminded that Jesus Christ, who bled and was tortured and suffered under the wrath of God the Father on a cross in your place, also died for him or for her. And you are tempted to think that far more divides you than could ever unite you. Let me remind you that the same Savior who went to a cross for you went to a cross for them too. People in the church have different opinions than you. People in the church voted differently from you. People in the church have different opinions about vaccines than you. People in the church have different opinions about masks than you. People in the church have different opinions about all kinds of things than you. But they have the same Savior as you. They have the same Father as you. They are indwelt by the same Spirit as you. They trust in the same blood-stained cross as you. And you and I are tempted to feel less than thankful. Let us be reminded that whatever differences the world may remind us that we have, we have the most important, the most eternally significant thing in common. That is that we are one in Christ. To divide along any other lines is to negate Christ himself. To diminish the importance of having the same Savior. Now you don't think about it like that, you don't. As human beings, we don't practically think about it like that. But let us be reminded of the significance of what we are doing when we say, I can't get along with that person. That person disagrees with me about this thing. What we are saying is that this thing is more important than Jesus Christ. Because while we should be united in our faith in him, we are divided by a lesser thing. Why is Paul thankful? Why does he go before the throne? He lists a very specific reason. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. 
The reason Paul gives for which he is thankful is that the faith of these Roman believers is proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to Jesus everywhere. Practically speaking, the goings-on in Rome would have been told throughout the Roman Empire. This is Rome, after all, right? So capital city of the Roman Empire. And whatever's going on in Rome, if there's a bunch of Christians there doing something, then that's going to be talked about. It's going on in Rome. It's going to be talked about all throughout the Roman Empire, throughout the known world at the time. This Roman church, these Roman Christians are going to be told about, reported on, even gossiped about, talked about in some way or another, all over the known world. It's a tangible fulfillment of the already beginning of the promise made in in verse 5 of chapter 1. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. All throughout the world, people are hearing about the faith of the Christians in Rome. And they too are coming to faith in the same gospel through the same Savior. They're being talked about, this church. Notice, and you know this, but but focus in on the detail that the thing being talked about wasn't just the church itself. It wasn't the attendance numbers that First Baptist of Rome was, was running. It wasn't about this big, beautiful building that the First Baptist Rome had just, had just built. It wasn't about their large operating budget or their dynamic programs or their hip, cool pastor. It was about the faith of this church. That's what gained a worldwide reputation. That was the reason for Paul's thankfulness, their faith. Their faith in Jesus was real. It was genuine. It was active in their lives. It was transformative in their community. And now it was literally notorious. Begs the question. What is our reputation? What is our reputation around our church family? What is our reputation around our community? What is our, what is our reputation around the world? And even more poignantly, is that reputation one we can be thankful to God for? Is our reputation one of faith such that it would drive us to our knees in thankfulness to God that we are able to worship and serve here at First Baptist Church? Because of the reputation that this church has for faith. The sad truth is that often, and in many churches, it is precisely the opposite of this sense of faithful one anotherness for which churches develop their reputations. What is most notorious about churches is often not their faith, it's their ability to fight. Churches are notorious for fighting. Churches are notorious for people that can't stand each other. Does our reputation feed the stereotype? Do our actions and interactions with one another and our feelings toward one another feed the stereotype? Or do they develop for us a reputation of faith? Faithful. Let me remind you that that the Bible warns us about biting and devouring one another. Not being able to stand in our faith because we have devoured one another from within. Brothers and sisters, we should and we must pray that First Baptist Church would have a reputation for faith. That that wouldn't be a reputation we just got. 
would be a reputation we have earned. Pray with thankfulness for your church family. Secondly, pray with consistency. Pray with consistency. Verse 9 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. Paul calls upon God himself as a witness to the truth and the validity of this claim. But Paul prays for these believers consistently, constantly. He never stops. Paul's not just saying this. He's not just using church language or making a flattering statement or giving some Christian line to the recipients of this letter. He really prayed for them. And he really prayed for them all the time. He really prays for them all the time, so much that he can call God as his witness that he prays for them all the time. Here in verse 9, we make the point explicitly what the verb tense used in verse 8 and verse 10 also implies, ongoing action. Paul says this in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you. He uses the verb that means all the time. Verse 10, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will. That asking occurs in the present tense. It describes something that's going on all the time. But here in verse 9, again, the claim is made explicitly. God is my witness and my servant, my spirit, and the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing, I mention you. I never stop praying for you. We say things like this all the time. I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying about that. I've been praying for you. Glad to see you this morning. You've been in my prayers this week. We just feeding a common Christian line? Is that just a good Christian way of saying, Hi, how was your week? Is that just a nice Christian way of making small talk because we're tired of people asking us about the weather? Or could we call God himself to bear witness to the fact that day and night we have not stopped praying for our brothers and sisters here at First Baptist Church? Can you and I say with such truthfulness that we have a daily practice of praying for one another, such truthfulness that we would not be embarrassed to have God bear witness to how often we pray? You'll notice that Paul makes a bit of a parenthetical statement in verse 9. For God is my witness, and then you've got these two commas around this phrase, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. It almost seems a bit out of place, doesn't it? We're talking about prayer, we're talking about prayer for the church, and then he goes back to something he's already talked about in verses 1 through 7. Go back sort of to his credentials, we go back sort of to his philosophy of ministry and to his calling for ministry, his love to minister for the sake of the gospel in the church. We go back to that in this sort of parenthetical statement that Paul is a servant of God. He's a minister of the gospel. He's again identifying his purpose, uh, his mission, his ministry. So come to bear again later in uh, later verses. And, and of course, it's what he's already talked about in verses 1 through 7. So why is he bringing this up again? Why, why this little parenthetical phrase? Most notably here, Paul makes clear that his care for these believers, his thankfulness for them, his commitment to pray for them flows forth from his heart. A heart that is set upon and dedicated to his ministry calling in Jesus Christ. Paul loves them. He loves them in his heart. He's thankful for them. 
He longs to see them. He desires to serve them. He prays for them out of the overflow of his heart's affection for them. His desire to minister alongside them, which we'll talk about later this morning and again in a couple of weeks, doesn't just come because he sort of reminded himself in his mind over and over again of this or has some superficial reason for any of this. His desire to minister to them and with them comes from deep within his spirit. It's not fake. It's not forced. It's not superficial. Paul doesn't, Paul's not the guy who, who when he finally arrives in Rome, sort of fakes a smile and pretends that he's so glad to see them. Is that what we do sometimes even with our own church family? a long week. We had a disagreement about something that somebody said Wednesday night and we're not particularly happy to be here. We fake a smile. We ask everybody how they're doing and maybe even talk a little football here and there. We don't even really want to be around them. That's not says, I serve God within my The gospel of his son is my calling. So my heart for you comes from God's call in my life and on my heart to serve you, to care for you, and to minister the gospel among you. This isn't fake at all. It is coming from his very heart, from his very spirit. Brothers and sisters, do you have that kind of deep and abiding heart for your brothers and sisters here at First Baptist Church? Do you have a desire to love them, to serve them, to pray for your fellow believers here at First Baptist? you say with the apostle, my heart's desire is to be with you. I have prayed for you all week because my spirit, within my own spirit, I have a desire to serve you and to minister the gospel among you. And I am so glad to be here with you because I have prayed for you all week out of the overflow of my heart. I love you, care for you, long to serve you and to serve alongside you. your prayers for your brothers and sisters in Christ forced or do they flow forth from a heart that genuinely loves one another? Paul's ministry to them flowed from his heart and from his commitment to the gospel. Out of that real concern came real constant prayer. He says, without ceasing, I miss you. Paul prays for these fellow believers constantly, unceasingly. There's no end to his prayers for the Roman church. There are times I think we find it hard to begin to pray for one another. God puts someone on our minds. We just spend 10 minutes thinking of all the things we'd like to say to them. Or we spend 10 minutes trying to push them out of our minds if we're nice. While sometimes we find it hard to begin to pray for one another, Paul found it impossible to stop. Just kept praying for them. Believers in Rome were on Paul's heart and on his mind all the time. And so every time he went before the throne of God in prayer, who else, what what else would he pray for? He had thought about them constantly. He thought about the Roman church in every waking moment. Loved them. 
had within his spirit a desire to minister to them and with them. So what else would he pray about? To pray for them. It was only natural. That be said of you, your brothers and sisters here at First Baptist Church. Are your fellow believers here on your mind and on your heart so much that it's only natural for you to talk to your father about them? Are they on your heart and on your mind so much that when you approach the throne of God in prayer through Christ Jesus on a regular basis, constantly indeed, you are praying for each other? Pray constantly. Thirdly, pray with mission focus. Pray with mission focus. Look at verse 10. Always in my prayers. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to do. This verse gives the specific request of Paul's prayer. Paul desires to come to Rome and to minister to the church and with the church there. He wanted to get to them and soon so he could serve alongside them. See that more in the later verses of this section. We'll talk about them in a couple weeks. But I want to draw your attention to the word asking. Interestingly, Paul uses stronger and stronger words to describe his prayers. This is an important word choice. The description here in the original language uh, has escalated. Some of your translations might say pleading that somehow by God's will I may come to you. He says, I've prayed for you. Remembered you in my prayers. I've prayed for you constantly. I am asking, pleading that God would let me come to you soon. Feel his prayers. I think the church in Rome could feel them. That's why Paul uses this escalating language to tell them this this prayer for them was not just some casual thing that he felt obligation to do. He wasn't just there in his quiet time going, oh yeah, the preacher said I need to pray for that church. No, he loved them deeply and with anguish in his heart, he pleaded, God, let me get to them soon. Could that be described of your prayer on Tuesday? God, let me get to them tomorrow night. God, let me see them on the Lord's day so that we can serve together and sing together and worship together and study together. God, let me get to them. Pleading. It would be God's will that you should see your brothers and sisters again and serve alongside them once again. You can hear that even in the language of the request itself. Somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul's request is ultimately submission to divine will. Paul desires to come to them. Evidently, he's tried before because he says, I'm praying that at last now I would succeed in coming to you. His prayer is simply to come. Regardless of the time, regardless of the way, just let me come, he pleads with God. You'll notice that even in that prayer, he yields to the will of God whether or not it is to be. What's going to make it possible for Paul to come to Rome and to see the church there, to minister with them there? What's going to make it happen is divine will, God's will. Paul prays in this way, if God wills, it will happen. Paul pleads that it would be so. This begs the question for us, who makes the determination in your life and in your service to the Lord? You or God? Is that reflected in the way that you act and serve? And is it reflected in the way that you pray? Because you and I often attempt to serve the Lord on our own terms. 
God, I'll serve you this way in this capacity. God, these are the things I want to do. And if you want me to do that with my brothers and sisters in Christ at First Baptist Church, if you'll let me do it that way, I'll do it. But otherwise, God, I'll serve on that committee. But if they call me about this one, I'm saying no. God, I'll serve on that ministry team, but only if I get to do it this way. Who makes that determination? You or the Lord? Paul says, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in going to you. I desire to be there. I want to be in Rome with you. It's my urgent prayer. However God's will, God wills it, that's how we'll serve. Again, you and I are often tempted to serve the Lord only on our own terms. It would be like Paul saying, I'll serve you in Rome, Lord. That's where I want to go. Send me there. Let me serve you the way I want. Then bless it. Instead, Paul has complete submission to God's will in both life and ministry. If it's your will, let me go. It's your will for me to serve alongside those brothers in Rome. Let me go at last. Let me finally succeed in getting there. It's your will. We need to step aside for a moment and talk about some some important theology here. Paul is pleading that it would be God's will for him to come to Rome. He wants to see them, but he prays that he would do so only if it is in accordance with God's will. I want you to note very, very carefully that Paul does not attempt to change the mind of God. Instead, What Paul is doing here is trusting that God may have ordained his prayer and ordained answering his prayer to be the means by which God sends Paul to Rome. Don't miss here how important prayer is. Can I tell you something? There is often a temptation for you and for me to say, well, whatever God wills, that's what he's going to do anyway. We could be like Paul if we were in his shoes saying, well, you know, if God wants me in Rome, he'll get me there. And if not, I guess he won't. Paul's trust in God and his commitment to prayer is far more significant than that. Do you notice? Paul prays that it would be God's will for him to go. What Paul trusts is that if it is God's will to send him to Rome, perhaps it is also God's will to provide for him to go to Rome by answering his prayer to go to Rome. That the way God would send him to Rome is to answer yes to his prayer to go to Rome. Don't miss how important prayer is. Don't just throw up your hands and say, God will do what he decides to do. That's true to an extent. But what if what God has decided to do is to send you to do that thing by answering your prayer to go and do it? Your prayers for First Baptist Church, do you pray this way? Paul's not trying to change God's mind. Paul's not trying to change God's plan. Paul's not trying to say, God, if this is your will, change your mind. Make this your will instead. Paul is trusting that God's plan to send him to Rome might include in that plan answering his prayer to be sent to Rome. 
your prayers from First Baptist Church, are you trusting that God has ordained answering your prayer as the means by which he does that thing at First Baptist Church? Do you pray for First Baptist Church like this, like it's God's plan to work here in answer to your prayers? Do you pray as if God's plan to grow the church includes answering your prayer that the church would grow? Do you pray like God's plan to fill the baptistry at First Baptist Church includes answering your prayer that the baptistry would be filled? Do you pray for First Baptist Church in a way that says that that you trust that God's plan to meet a particular need includes you praying that God would meet that particular need? Do you pray like the way that God is going to meet that ministry need is by answering your prayer that that ministry need would be met? Do you pray like it's an important part of what God is doing? Because God instructs us to pray like it's an important part of what he's doing. How many times in his word does he tell us that he longs for us to pray? That he hears what we do. That he answers from heaven. How many times in scripture does he command his people to hit our knees? Beseech him on behalf of one another. Might God be waiting to answer a prayer that you have? Because he's waiting for you to actually pray. Might it be God's plan to do precisely that thing? By answering your prayer for that thing. Might it be that God's plan for First Baptist Church comes by way of answering the prayers of the people of First Baptist Church. The reason Paul desires to be with them, as we'll see in the coming weeks, is that there is much ministry work to be done with them and for them, and he desires to get to work doesn't pray with selfish focus, with a focus on the mission at hand and the gospel kingdom work to be done. We'll see in the next two passages that Paul wanted to get to them, to encourage them, and to get there to Rome to join with them in preaching the gospel. He prayed with that mission in mind. I need to get to Rome to edify the church and evangelize the lost. There was kingdom work to be done, and he prays, God, send me there so I can get to work with that church. He prays for that church so that he can lock arms with them and join in gospel kingdom work together with them. Is that why you pray for First Baptist Church? Do you and I pray that we would be able to minister alongside one another? Do you pray that your brothers and sisters here at First Baptist would remain focused on and busy about the work of ministry God has given us to do? Do you pray that First Baptist Church would not allow anything, anything to get in the way of edifying one another? of encouraging one another, and of evangelizing the lost. Brothers and sisters, those need, those, the, the need for prayer, for mission focus, is more important now than ever. Again, there are a multitude of things that could distract First Baptist Church, and the enemy would like nothing more than to gain a foothold with just one. If he could get us to hate each other by disagreeing on politics... He would crush the work in this community that he has for us to do. If he could get us to disagree about the pandemic and what should be done, 
he could gain a foothold that could crush the work of ministry that we have to do, if he could get us to disagree about anything. Brothers and sisters, he has divided churches by causing them to hate each other over the color of the carpet. Don't think he wouldn't delight to use such a thing as a pandemic or politics to cease and bring to a stunning halt the work that the church has to do here in Talladega. Pray that your church would remain ministry-focused. That we would not bite and devour each other we would say we agree in the Lord. If there are other things that we don't agree on, they pale in comparison. We agree in the Lord and we lock arms together to do the work of ministry that God has called us to do. Those prayers for your church, that your church would remain focused on its mission that God has given us are now more important than ever. You say, I don't know how to pray for that. I remind you at the beginning of every Lord's Day worship service how we can pray that we would remain mission-focused. It's printed in your worship guide, and I say it every time. You already know it. You've memorized it, whether you know it or not. First Baptist Church exists to glorify God by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples in Talladega and around the world. Pray that First Baptist Church would do that. Pray that God would be glorified here. Pray that we would love Him here. Pray that we would love one another, not only within our church family, but within our community as well here. And pray that we would make disciples in this city and around the world from here. Do you pray with that mission focus? First Baptist Church, pray for one another. When you pray, thank God for one another. Pray constantly for one another. Pray that we would be able to serve the Lord our God effectively. The mission that he has given us alongside. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, even as we have studied this passage, there are many things we need to pray for our church family. Father, even now in this time of corporate prayer, we could... Make a long list of all the things we need you to do here. My prayer pastorally in this moment is more than that. My prayer right now as we consider all of those needs is more than just that we would pray for that right now and then go home. right now is that you would make us a praying church. That the needs that are set before us would so consume our hearts. We would be a church that prays constantly for one another. Not only right now. Going forth from this place. Every single moment of every single day we would pray earnestly, faithfully, one another here at First Baptist Church. Make us a church that prays for one another. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. The invitation this morning is simple. We have talked about the need to pray for one another. Pray thankfully, to pray constantly, and to pray with mission focus for First Baptist Church.
In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing. I just want to give you this simple invitation. Pray for 